0: Greetings. This is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. I'm joined today on the podcast by Laura O'Dell, the research analyst at Diamond Hill that covers biotech and pharma, as well as life science tools and diagnostics. Laura is joining me on the podcast today to discuss a recent industry perspectives piece that discusses intrinsic value investing in a time of a pandemic. You can find her piece at www.diamond-hill.com. I can't think of a more timely guest than Laura, whose background includes an undergraduate degree in biochemistry, a master's degree in immunology, and a master's in business administration from Babson College. Laura spent time in research at P&G Pharmaceuticals and was a global program manager at Aventus Pharmaceuticals. We were able to keep Laura's dog quiet during most of the podcast, But as we continue to work through these unprecedented times, I ask for your understanding for any other sound issues that may arise. As always, stay safe and stay healthy. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Laura O'Dell. Laura, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Excited to hear you talk about your most recent industry perspectives piece. You open your piece referencing the proliferation of pandemic armchair quarterbacks and newfound interest in immunology and epidemiology. You know, as much as I'd like to pick your brain on vaccines and efficacy levels and so on, let's focus on the impact of the pandemic on the healthcare businesses. You know, what has been the biggest impact across the healthcare industry to the disruption that we've seen since March and April of this year?
1: Yeah, so I actually did my master's degree in immunology. So the topic has a special place in my heart (laughs) and I'm happy to discuss where we are on vaccines as well. But first, let me address your primary question. As you would expect, there's been just a tremendous impact on the healthcare industry this year. The first area I would highlight would obviously be COVID testing. When you think about the scale of testing that we are doing now, it's amazing. If we go back to early March when the coronavirus testing first started, LabCorp and Quest, which are the biggest diagnostic labs in the US, were only able to do a few thousand tests per day and it took days to get the results back. Fast forward to today, And we have lots of different tests approved. The U.S. is now running about 1.8 million tests per day. I mean, think about that number. It's incredible. And now we even have tests where you can get the results in 15 minutes. So to me, that's by far the biggest change we've seen this year. But next, I can give you an update on vaccines because I see this as the second biggest impact this year. You've seen in the media that we have lots of different vaccine companies I mean, just about every large pharma company with any prior vaccine experience is involved in some way in the vaccine discovery process. And we've spent billions of dollars on this effort. The US government alone has committed over 10 billion to develop a vaccine. And so far as of today, we've had three companies release top line data. Pfizer, who's partnered with BioNTech was the first, and it looks like their vaccine is about 95% effective. And just to give you a perspective on the scale of these vaccine trials, Pfizer recruited 44,000 people from around the world to participate in their trial. Half of those people got the vaccine and half did not, they got a placebo. In these vaccine trials, people weren't injected with the coronavirus to test it. Pfizer dosed the patients in the summer and then had to wait for people to go about their normal daily activities to see how many people got sick. So for Pfizer's vaccine, 162 people got sick in the placebo group and only eight in the vaccine group. So that's Pfizer's data. All of these vaccine trials are going to be on a similar scale. We've seen data from Moderna and their trial involved 30,000 participants. And they also saw an efficacy of about 95% for their vaccine. AstraZeneca, who's partnered with the University of Oxford also reported that their vaccine is on average 70% effective. So all of these vaccines have shown at least decent efficacy, and for perspective, there have been annual flu vaccines that have been less than 50% effective. So all of these results meet that minimum bar. And as far as safety, each of the trials showed the vaccines were safe with just the normal vaccine-type side effects, like pain at the site of injection or flu-like symptoms like fever. But what we still don't know about these vaccines is how long immunity lasts. If you get the vaccine, will you be protected for a year, five years, forever? We just don't know. But as I mentioned before, there are a lot of vaccines in development, and the data will just keep rolling in. So we're going to be learning more and more about the virus and how these vaccines work. But I think the question on everyone's minds is when can we get back to our normally scheduled lives? Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines should be approved in the U.S. shortly. Pfizer's approval will hopefully come before the end of the year. In the U.S., the individual states will then be in charge of how the vaccines are allocated. The CDC is recommending healthcare workers, other essential workers, and those at high risk. So for example, people in assisted living get vaccinated first. Once those priority people have received the vaccine, then it can be distributed to the rest of the population. So when everybody can get a vaccine depends on when and how many vaccines are eventually approved. But people in the low priority group will probably start to get access late spring of 2021. And one other aspect of this that's worth discussing about Pfizer's and Moderna's vaccines specifically is that these are a new type of vaccine called a messenger RNA vaccine. This type of vaccine is actually made using genetic material and these could be the first vaccines ever approved using this technology. Traditionally, vaccines use the actual pathogen but either kill it or make it weaker, which is hard to do and time consuming. But by using genetic material, all researchers need to do is know the genetic sequence of the pathogen and then they design the vaccine. It's a fast and very targeted approach. In this case, it only took a month and a half after the coronavirus genetic sequence was known to produce these vaccines. This is just an incredible achievement. So if we have another pandemic, hopefully we won't, (laughs) Um, but if we do, we now have another tool that can be used to quickly generate a vaccine. Also, this type of vaccine is being tested in cancer trials. It's still really early in the development process. But my point is, now that we have good clinical data on this type of technology, there's a lot of potential for these mRNA vaccines going forward.
0: One aspect that I hadn't thought about that you bring up in your piece is the impact on healthcare insurance companies. You know, a reduction in patients seeking non-COVID treatments means higher profitability as the insurance companies are still collecting their premiums and they're dispersing less funds for those treatments because they're not being done. What other areas of the market are being impacted indirectly from the battle against the pandemic?
1: Exactly. We already talked about testing and vaccines for COVID, but a lot of other areas in healthcare have been indirectly impacted by the pandemic. Probably the biggest indirect impact has been in patient volumes. There was the initial phase when we had shutdowns in the U.S. when the number of patients going to the doctor or getting surgery or going to the dentist dropped dramatically. Now we're seeing that people are starting to go back to the doctor again, but office visits are still down relative to last year. In some circumstances, this is due to patient concerns, and in others, it's due to increased hygiene requirements. For example, dentists today have increased their hygiene protocols, which are making them less efficient. So for example, they might change gowns in between each patient or do more cleaning of surfaces or restrict patients in the waiting room. So according to the American Dental Association, dentists are only operating at about 80% of normal levels. Also, some of the decline in patient volumes is due to patient concerns, especially those that consider themselves high risk. So they might go, not even go to the doctor unless they're really sick. And we've seen this with the lower number of cancer screenings done this year. Unfortunately, this means we're missing some of these early stage cancer diagnoses. So we could see a spike in cancer mortality in the future. And clearly we've seen these indirect impacts on the healthcare system also play in the stock market. Generally speaking, companies that have direct exposure to COVID, whether it be testing or vaccines or treatment, have had strong stock performance this year. But other healthcare stocks, like the areas I mentioned previously, so those that are exposed to patient volumes, like medical devices or dental stocks, have been weaker this year.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting about the, uh, the reduction in cancer screenings. It's kind of scary when you think about a year or two from now, the impact that could have. We talk about utilizing an investment philosophy that's rooted in determining the intrinsic value of a company over a five-year time frame and investing accordingly. You know, how does a, as you mentioned, a, you know, hopefully once in a lifetime event such as we're experiencing right now, impact that evaluation of a company when there are so many unknowns?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's what I tried to get across in the piece that by looking at stocks on a long-term time frame and on an intrinsic value basis, I think it's really helped us to make investment decisions despite all the uncertainty. So from a high level perspective, in the early part of the year, it was hard to figure out exactly how the pandemic would play out. So I generally included conservative assumptions in my models. But I think the key to the long-term intrinsic value perspective is that my assumptions for performance in the out years of the model are probably more accurate because I assumed a return to normal. So for example, you know, a company that makes products for heart surgery, which should be a pretty steady company, generated revenue of, let's say, $100 in 2019. So yes, 2020 and probably 2021 are hard to predict. But as long as I think the company is going to continue to be a leader in their space and keep producing heart surgery products, then I can assume at some point that sales will return to $100. I think that's really what gave us some extra perspective when the pandemic started. We're not trying to guess 2020 results. We're looking beyond the pandemic to what the company can do in a normal environment.
0: So you referenced some companies in your piece uh, that cover different areas of the medical field, and, and I was hoping you could run me through, uh, you know, the thesis on each of them and how these theses have been impacted by the pandemic. So we'll go one at a time, um, and I'll, I'll throw a name at you, and you, you fill me in, and then when you're done, we'll we'll hit you with another name if that sounds good. So let's go with sure. Thermo Fisher Scientific first.
1: Sure. So, um, Thermo Fisher is a name that we've owned for a while. We first initiated a position in early 2016. And what we loved about the company then was its excellent management team, its leading product offering with a competitive advantage, and its scale. At the time of the initial investment, the stock was also reasonably priced, trading at a discount to our intrinsic value. Fast forward to today, and it turns out that Thermo was ideally positioned to quickly develop a test for the coronavirus. In fact, the company is the lead supplier of a technology that was used in all early testing and is still used by high-throughput labs today. Remember when I mentioned earlier all those tests being conducted on a daily basis? Thermo is currently producing enough for 1.4 million tests per day. That's amazing. In 3Q, the company reported that sales increased by an incredible $2 billion just in one quarter due to COVID. So for perspective, normalized quarterly sales for Thermo are 6 to $7 billion. So that's a really big increase. Now, we ended up selling the stock, which is sort of counterintuitive. Why would you sell a key supplier of testing technology during a pandemic? But the reason we sold goes back to our process. We stay true to our estimate of intrinsic value. And as I mentioned previously, I didn't know that Thermo would generate this incredible level of sales in the third quarter. I knew sales would increase a lot, but not the exact amount. What I'm more focused on is what the company can do over the long term once we get past this short-term sales bolus. And it's this rate of sales returning to normal that gets me to my estimate of intrinsic value. So once the stock reached this value, we sold it.
0: Strong disciplined process. Uh, So let's look at uh, SteriCycle next. Hopefully I'm saying that right.
1: The impact on SteriCycle was a little more nuanced. Uh, We've been involved with the stock since 2018. And back then, the company faced a number of challenges. For example, they were involved in a price gouging lawsuit and had high debt levels. And I believe most of their problems were due to poor management. But what we really liked about the company was the core medical waste business. So you know those boxes for medical waste you see at the doctor's office? Stericycle is the one that makes sure that that medical waste is sterilized, destroyed, and then disposed of properly. And they are by far the market leader in this area. And there are some really nice barriers to entry in this business. So our thesis when we bought the stock was that because of the strength of this base business, it had a lot of potential, but we really needed to get a new management team in place. So since then, the company has in fact made slow but steady improvements. StairCycle now has a new management team, which we like a lot. The debt, has, the debt level has decreased and they've worked through their lawsuits and corporate governance is improving as well. As far as the pandemic is concerned, it has provided both challenges and opportunities for the company. A benefit has been that all of the new testing sites across the US needed waste disposal and there are about a thousand now working with StairCycle but this benefit has been offset by office closures. They have a paper shredding business which relies on office employees going to work, generating paper waste, and clearly this has declined. But just like I mentioned for Thermo, despite all of these changes caused by the pandemic, we look at what the business can do in a normalized environment to help us come up with our estimate of intrinsic value. So we see these changes caused by the pandemic as more like short-term noise.
0: And so the last one I'll ask you on is Pfizer.
1: Yeah, we can also look at Pfizer through the same lens. We talked earlier about Pfizer when we talked about vaccines, but uh, let's talk about why we actually own the stock. We didn't buy it for the vaccine. We've owned it for years. What we like about Pfizer is that the company has been shedding underperforming assets to become a focused biopharma company. And when we compare Pfizer to its biopharma peers, we see a company generating significant free cash flow, but who has limited exposure to patent cliffs through most of this decade. Then comes the pandemic and Pfizer joins the vaccine race. But for us, the outcome of the vaccine has very little impact on our estimate of intrinsic value. Relative to the size of Pfizer, the potential increase in sales from the vaccine is relatively small. And just like Thermo, we think there's going to be a bolus of sales that quickly declines. Uh, So again, we're looking past the vaccine to what the rest of the company can do and basing our intrinsic value on that.
0: So the last question for you, Laura, another thing you discuss in the piece is the opportunity to invest in companies that have been impacted by the pandemic due to the delays in discretionary surgical procedures. We talked about it earlier. How does the long-term philosophy help in looking past short-term dislocations like we've seen in a name like integer holdings?
1: Integer is a medical device contract manufacturer. So before, when we talked about patient volumes declining because of the pandemic, Integer has been directly affected by that. The company makes a variety of guide wires and components and batteries for medical device companies. Their products are largely used in surgery and most components are used in non-discretionary surgeries like heart surgery. So when the shutdown orders started, all discretionary surgical procedures were canceled or delayed, which meant Integer's customers' sales declined dramatically, and then Integer saw a slowdown as well. To your point earlier, I didn't know exactly what kind of decline in sales that Integer would see in 2020, but what I did know was that surgical volumes will come back. So I'm actually more confident in my longer-term estimates where I assume that the company's sales will return to normal. So what's happened with Integer is basically the opposite of what we've seen with Thermo. The pandemic caused the stock to decline, But for us, with our long-term perspective, this provided an opportunity to buy more stock since the price had dropped below our estimate of intrinsic value.
0: Well, Laura, great. Uh, Thank you very much for joining me. It was great insight into, you know, not only what's going on in the healthcare business, but also, you know, our intrinsic value philosophy. So I wanna thank you for your time and for joining me. Oh, thank you. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.